Suspense. This is the man in black, here again to introduce Columbia's program, Suspense. With us in Hollywood tonight as star is Mr. Otto Kruger, whose career on the screen and on the stage has afforded him precisely equal number of appearances as a character on the right and on the wrong side of the law. Whether the man Mr. Kruger portrays tonight is devil or saint, we shall leave for you to judge when the play is over. It is called After Dinner Story. The author is Cornell Woolrich, the radio adapter Robert L. Richards. And so with the performance of Otto Kruger as Mr. Hardecker, who told this extraordinary After Dinner Story, we again hope to keep you in suspense. Baker's residence. I, I believe I'm expected for dinner, please. Your name, sir? Uh, Ken Shaw is my name. Very good, sir. Mr. Hardecker? Mr. Kenshaw, sir. Ah, number one. Good evening, Mr. Kenshaw. Is this where Mr. Hardecker lives? My name is Lambert. Mr. Hardecker? Mr. Lambert. Number two. <laughs> Uh, my name is Prendergast. I think I... Uh, Mr. Hardecker? Mr. Prendergast. Number three. Mackenzie's the name. Mr. Hardecker? Mr. Mackenzie. Number four. One, two, three, four. So you're all here, gentlemen? Yes. Then suppose we go into dinner. And after dinner, I shall tell you why you are here, what I have in mind. In fact, I shall tell you in the form of a story, a sort of after-dinner story. Well, gentlemen, did you enjoy your dinner? Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, then, uh, if you'll excuse me for just a moment, I have certain instructions to give the servants, and after that, I shall rejoin you. I well, shan't well, be long. Uh, certainly. Well, what did that crack mean? Certain instructions to the servants. How should I know? I, I don't like the looks of the whole thing. Why all the mystery? Well, I suggest that you have patience, Mr. Prendergast. Mr. Hardecker clearly intends to tell us in his own good time. Yeah. And, and another thing. I don't eat in those fancy Park Avenue joints as a rule myself, but I've seen them in the movies. They always pass the food around to everybody. They don't just don't bring it out of the kitchen already on your plate and just hand it to you. Well, what possible difference can that make? Well, I don't know, but I know it ain't right. Oh, None of it's right. Why does a man invite four perfect strangers to dinner? What is this thing he, he has in mind for us he keeps talking about? Well, all I know, he says he'll make it worth our while, and I can use a little of that worth your while stuff the way business has been lately. Obviously, the connection between us is that we were all in that elevator a year ago. Oh, what of it? There's no mystery about that. The police cleared that up the very next day. Maybe Mr. Hardecker doesn't think so. The Sorry to have kept you, gentlemen. Now, suppose we get down to business. Uh, Mr. Hardiker, none of us wish to seem rude, but we were just wondering what this business is all about. You have had, uh, you had come to the obvious conclusion, of course, that it has to do with my son. Well, yeah. I don't see why we're, uh, we're all sorry, naturally, but that's all over and done with. Yes, and I've... Uh, almost. But there are one or two little details that I thought you gentlemen might help me to clarify. Oh, sure. Oh, well. Fine. Well, then, if you don't mind, I know you must remember most of it, but it's almost a year ago. I'd like to go over the whole story from the beginning. Well, that's all right. Well, it was just about, just before five in the afternoon on August 30th of last year when the matter which concerns us here this evening had its beginning. And on that day, and at that time, all four of you perfect strangers who had never seen each other before in your lives, found yourselves, for personal and business reasons of your own, on various floors of the Norfolk building in midtown Manhattan, waiting for the express elevator to take you to the lobby. The first passengers were on the 21st floor. 21. Going down, please. 
Express car, going down. There are now three men in the elevator. The operator, Mr. Kenshaw and Mr. Lambert, who had gotten on at the 21st floor. 18. Going down, please. Face the doors, please. Going down. Now there are five men in the car. Mr. Prendergast and Mr. McKenzie had entered the elevator at the 18th floor. 15. Express car to the lobby. Going down, please. Say hello to Eleanor for me. You bet. Bye, Dad. Bye. Six men in the elevator. The last to enter, I had accompanied to the elevator door myself. He was my son. <laughs> These things drop pretty fast. Too fast for me. Hey, this baby is moving. <laughs> Look! You can't stop it. We're out of What's control. Out of Look out. We're going to hit. Anybody, uh, anybody got a match? I think my leg's broken. Get me out of here. I got a wife and kids. Somebody get me out of here. Get me Shut out of here. Shut up a minute, can't you? You're not the only one with a wife and kids. Has anybody got a match? I've got to get this door open. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have it. Why, but suffocate in here. These things are practically airtight. Yeah. <sighs> Where's the operator? Uh, operator? He's over here. I, I can feel the braid on his coat against my hand. Oh. Hey, what about it, bud? You've got a match so I can see what I'm doing here? Uh, hey, operator. He's, he's dead. Dead? Oh. Why doesn't somebody come? What's the matter with him? Why pipe did they come? Pipe down, will you? Pipe down. There. There, I got it. Now we'll get a little air anyway. Oh. There's a light up there somewhere. Yeah. I can hear voices. There, you hear them? Help! Help! Say, help! there's no use help! yelling your head off. They know we're down here. I, know. Yeah. I wish my leg didn't hurt so bad. Oh, let's see. Uh, try wrapping your shirt around it tight. It may stop some of the pain. Thanks. Yeah, easy. Uh, now what? Nothing. Just sit and wait. That's all. Why don't they hurry? What are they waiting for? Why don't Take they hurry? Take it easy. Take it easy. You could be worse off. Worse off? Yeah. Like this poor guy, the operator. He's dead. And so you waited. Six men, five living, one dead. I know how it must have been for all of you, the minutes dragging by there in the darkness with nothing to do but wait. How's your leg? Better. How long do you suppose we've been down here? Well, it's hard to tell. Maybe they think we're all dead. Maybe they're just taking their time. Don't they... worry. They heard you hollering all but right. I... Gee, the, the poor guy. I, I wonder if he had any kids. The operator? Yeah. I, I often wondered sometimes what would happen if one of these things ever slipped. Well, now you know. I'll never ride in one again. So he's going to walk up 68 stories to the Rainbow Room. I don't go to the Rainbow Room. Oh, I'm certainly glad my father didn't get on this car with me. He was going to, but... He changed his mind. Wish I'd changed my mind. You know, if I hadn't gone back to make a phone call, I'd have been on another car. What's the use of wishing? Okay, it's happened, and here we are. <laughs> Listen, there they are. They're going to get us out. Yeah. Hello. Hello up there. Yeah, yeah, we're coming to you. Take it easy. Hurry, can't you hurry? Hurry. Well, we, uh, we'll hurry. Anybody hurry? Yeah, one guy's dead. Uh, we'll be through to you in a minute. Okay, Roddy, let it on now. <laughs> Look, look at that light up there. Acetylene torches. Yeah, they're going to cut a hole in the roof. What a racket. I'm nearly deaf already. Listen, you guys. We're coming through, see? Watch out for sparks. 
Get your rides and stand back against the wall. Okay. I never knew those things made so much noise. It's because we're closed in. No! No! What was that? I don't know. I, I thought I heard somebody holler. Yeah, so did I. M- must have been one of those guys up above. Those sparks are enough to blind you. Well, don't look at them. They will blind you. One went right by in front of my face, right across the car. <laughs> they couldn't have. They're dropping down. Did you see it? It was awful bright. Oh, just a reflection. Don't look at it. I I guess I guess they got it cut through. Phew, yeah. I couldn't have stood much more of that. They're pulling off the top. It won't be long now. All right. Stand clear down there. I'm going to jump down. Hey, cop. And no cop ever looked lovelier. All right. Pass them ropes down now. Okay, hold it. All right. Who's first now? Who's the worst hurt of you all? How about this fellow? And that's the operator. He's dead. Hey, look. Those other two guys have both passed out. Yeah, shocking. Yes. Officer, I've got to get out of here. I feel pretty bad. Hey, hold I... your horses. There's nothing wrong with you. But I... That man's got a broken leg. Then. Who's got a broken leg? I have, I think. All right. Can you sit in this rope sling here? I'll try. Now, hang on with both your hands. Uh, I'll be all right. Okay. Pull him up. Well, so long, fellas. Take care of that leg. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. My name's Lambert. And mine's Mackenzie. Maybe we'll run into each other sometime. Yeah. Well, so long. All right, let me have that rope now. Well, who's next now? Well, maybe you better take those two guys that passed out. They might be hurt. Why, sure. How about this young fella? Sure. Uh, he got a little blood on him, hasn't he? He has that. Glass from the light fixtures, I guess. Well, I don't think it's serious. Mm, you don't, eh? No, he seemed to be all right. Well, whatever he seemed to be, he's not now. This man is dead. Dead? Oh, but he can't be. Look here, my lad, you don't seem to realize that you've come through a pretty serious accident. Well, I know, but he can't be dead. We heard him talking just a few minutes ago, isn't that right? Yes, I heard him. Well, sure, he was talking to us here in the dark. He said something about being glad his father wasn't on this elevator. I can't help what he said or what you heard him say. This man is dead. My son, who had survived the original accident without apparent injury, was dead. You gentlemen were more fortunate. You lived. Five days later, you four met again. It was the police headquarters. About 2.30 on a Friday afternoon. The last to arrive was Mr. Lambert. In here, Mr. Lambert. Thanks. Hello there. Hi, fellas. Hey, how's the leg? Pretty good. Mr. Lambert? That's right. I'm Chief Inspector McMahon. How do? We'll uh, just take a seat there. Yeah. Well, we all here now? Mr. Kenshaw, yeah. Mr. Pendergast, Mr. Yes. McKenzie, That's Mr. Me. Lambert. Yes, sir. Well, now, as I told each of you over the phone, I won't keep you very long. I just wanted to ask a few routine questions about that business of the elevator the other day. Well, what's the matter? Something phony about it? Uh, not for our money. It's an open and shut case. Suicide. Suicide? Yeah. You mean the operator wanted to bump himself off so oh, he could... Oh, no, no, no. Not the operator. He died of a fractured skull. It's young uh, Hardiker we're interested in. His father's been raising a row, so we said we'd investigate, but... Uh, I still don't get uh, it. Wesley Hardiker was killed by a thirty-two caliber bullet through the heart. What? You couldn't have him. You mean he, he killed himself right in that car with all of us... Hmm? Around... What else? The... He wasn't shot when he walked in, and he was dead when we brought him out. Unless uh, one of you killed him. Oh, no. Well, no. Any of you know him? No. No? Oh, well, I... then there you are. Even the father had to admit that as far as he knew, his son had never seen any of you before in his life. But it don't make sense. What don't make sense? Well, I mean, a guy shooting himself in an elevator with four other people that nobody didn't even know it. Did uh, any of you hear the shot? Not before they started the blowtorches. I could swear to that. Couldn't have heard one anyway. You see? Hey, wait a minute. Did you hear something? No. But McKenzie, remember I said when I was laying on the floor of the elevator that I thought I saw a spark from one of those blowtorches that went across the car instead of falling down? That's right. Anybody else see it? The blowtorches were absolutely blinding. You couldn't see a... Uh, how about you, Mr. Kenshaw? Uh, I'm afraid that I fainted or something silly like that. I'm not a very strong person. Well, it was probably the gunshot, all right. 
Nothing very mysterious about it. The gun belonged to young Hardiker, licensed in his name, and had only his own fingerprints on it. Well, maybe I shouldn't ask, but why did he do it? The official verdict is suicide while of unsound mind. He seemed all right. He talked to us perfectly sensibly just before it happened. Just goes to show. You never can tell, can you? Oh, he'd always been nervous and highly strung. We got that out of his father. The strain of being down in that black pit was just too much for him, that's all. Oh, what, what a terrible thing to break down just as we were about to be rescued. Yeah, it's too bad. Boys seem to have everything to live for, too. But we find that sort of thing all the time. The, the noise, I suppose. I've read of cases of nervous breakdown caused by noise. Yeah, that's it. Well, I guess I don't need to keep you gentlemen any longer. Well, I'm certainly glad there were no complications. Oh, don't worry. If one of you had anything to do with it, you'd be back in the cell right now. That was almost a year ago. Last week, each of you received a phone call from me. I can well understand and sympathize with the fact that you were somewhat astonished, perhaps a little suspicious of what you heard. I don't doubt that most of you debated at some length in your minds the advisability of accepting my invitation at all. You, for instance, Mr. McKenzie, you are married, as I remember. I imagine that you talked quite seriously with your wife about the whole affair. I phoned your home, I believe, at about 8.30 last Monday evening. Yes? Uh, this is Mr. McKenzie speaking. Well, I'm sorry, but I don't seem to place you. Oh, oh, of course, Mr. Hardigan. Well, frankly, I don't see the point. You don't know me, and I don't know you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I see. Well, all right, Mr. Hardiker. I'll be there. <laughs> That's a funny name. Who was it, dear? His name is Hardiker, the father of that boy who killed himself in the elevator last year. Oh? Well, what did he want? <laughs> he wants me to come to dinner with him on Saturday at his home. Why, how lovely. He's a very important man, isn't he? Did he ask both of us? No. As a matter of fact, he's asking the four men who were in that elevator with his son when he, when he died. What a strange idea. Seems sort of, of gruesome to me. Yeah, that's what I thought. Didn't he say anything? Oh, he said quite a lot. Well, what did he say? I was just thinking... Oh, now, please, Stephen, don't sit there and be so tantalizing. What did he say? Well, he said something about his son's estate. Seems his son had quite a lot of money in his own right. The old man said he didn't need it, and there weren't any other relations, and... Well, he sort of hinted that he thought it might be a good idea to split it up between the four men who were with his son in his last moments of life, as he put it. Why, Stephen, how wonderful. Why aren't you excited? How much is it? Do you suppose it's a lot of money? Mm, I don't know. Why, it might be several thousand dollars. It might be several hundred thousand dollars. Oh, Stephen, what's the matter with you? Well, just such a crazy thing to do, that's all. I don't see that that makes any difference. If a man wants to do a nice, kind, generous thing... Look, honey, if it was generosity, he'd give it to charity. If it was a sort of memorial to his son, he'd, well, he'd set up a scholarship or build a hospital or something. Well, the old man was pretty broken up about it when it happened. I remember reading something about his being in a sanitarium for a while afterwards. And he never did believe the verdict of suicide. The police as much as told us that at the time. How do I know he doesn't think one of us killed the boy? Oh, that's absurd. Well, all right. But anybody who's crazy enough to divide up a wad of dough between four perfect strangers is crazy enough to think a perfect stranger killed his son. Oh, why, that... Maybe he thinks we all did it. Maybe he's wacky and has some crazy idea about revenge and is going to use the dough as bait to get us all together. I hadn't thought of it like that. Perhaps you ought not to go. I already said I would. Oh, anyway, maybe it's on the level. Stephen, do you still have that gun you used to have when you worked at the bank? Yeah, I have it there. I think you ought to take it with you Saturday night. Honey, I think you've got something there. I think that's a very good idea. And so, gentlemen, I'm quite gratified that you all saw fit to accept my rather unique invitation and that we are all here together this evening. 
by the way, Mr. McKenzie, I'm afraid I must ask you to give me that gun that you brought along. So that's it. And, uh, Mr. McKenzie, you will notice that one of my servants who is standing in the door directly behind you has uh, got you covered, is the phrase, I believe. Mm. Oh. Okay. Thank you. How did you know? Why, the butler sort of patted all your pockets when he removed your coats, but aside from that, I've spent most of my waking hours during the past year looking into the backgrounds of all you gentlemen. So I was right about this setup after all. Now, look here, Mr. Hardecker. I came here tonight in perfectly good faith. I even canceled a very important business appointment. With Mr. Joseph Donahue of Celluloid Products. Yeah. All right, let's cut out the mystery. What's this all about? Yes, really, what's Mr. the idea? No, wait a minute. One moment, gentlemen, one moment. I didn't ask you up here under false pretenses. I fully intend to divide my son's estate precisely as I suggested over the phone. I sincerely hope you don't resent my investigation of your backgrounds. Well, gee, Mr. Hardecker, I... My background isn't much, I guess, but... Uh, Perhaps we all owe you an apology, Mr. Hardecker, but you must admit the whole thing's been a little strange. It has indeed been very strange. I think, however, that that phase of the matter is about over. Now, before we get down to business, there is one detail that I'd like you to help clear me up. Well, sure. Sure. Can I, uh, can I bring it in now, sir? If you please. Uh, is it well mixed? Yes, sir. Uh, in the center of the table. Thank you, Johnson. Now, please see that we are not disturbed on any account whatsoever. Yes, sir. Say, <laughs> that looks good. What is it? Oh, it's got quite a number of things in it. White of egg, mustard, milk. <laughs> it sounds like an antidote for poison. It is an antidote for poison. A what? Gentlemen, there is a murderer in this room. One of you killed my son and hasn't paid for it yet. Oh, don't be a fool. The coroner's verdict was suicide. This police... is not a discussion, Mr. McKenzie. This is an execution. I, I'm, I'm getting out of here. There is a man with a gun outside each door. You'll find them very unreceptive to that idea, Mr. Prendergast. Sit down. He's got us. Well, I... The only thing we can do is try to talk a little sense in I'm not open to arguments, Mr. McKenzie. One of you killed my son. I know who that man is. It's taken me a year to find out, but I now know. The food that man ate tonight was poison. Yeah, now, but... but in poison. ten minutes... He'll drop dead. You can't take the law into your own hands that way. You, you... Unfortunately, the law demands a very specific type of evidence. The police, whom I consulted repeatedly, do not believe it possible to get a conviction on the evidence I have. And therefore, the conviction must come tonight. Well, you wouldn't dare. You couldn't kill a man in cold blood that way. But... There is an alternative, Mr. Prendergast. Hmm? It is there in the center of the table. The antidote. Oh. The murderer may either confess his crime by drinking the contents of that bowl, or he may keep silent and go to his death here tonight, privately executed for what cannot be publicly proved. But they could send you to the chair for that. I am quite aware of that contingency, Mr. Crenshaw, and quite willing to accept the consequences. But the murderer will have gone to his death before me. How do we know you poisoned the right... The murderer knows, Mr. Prendergast. The rest need have no fear. Hey, I think the guy's crazy. Maybe he poisoned all of us. Look, Mr. Hardiker, this whole thing is insane. Nobody killed your son. As to that, we shall shortly see, Mr. McKenzie. The man who killed my son has approximately uh, seven minutes to live. Seven minutes? It's me. I know it's me. He's poisoned. My whole insides are on fire. It's I me. He's don't poisoned. fall for it unless you're sure. The whole thing may be a gag. I assure you, nothing has ever been more serious, Mr. McKenzie. You know, you know I, I don't feel so good myself. Neither do I. Probably just indigestion. After dinner, a story like this is enough to give indigestion to a horse. No kidding. Hey, supposing this guy's a maniac. Suppose he just made it all up in his own head and poisoned all of us. Listen, Mr. Hartigan. Let me just tell you this. If I come out of this alive, I'm going to beat your brains out of it. It's the last thing I do. I can't stand it. Mr. Heidecker, I didn't do it. I swear I didn't. I didn't do it. I didn't. Shut up. Five more minutes. Hey, I feel awful. Maybe we all ought to take some of that stuff, just in case. Yeah, that's it. We'll all take it. Yeah, who'll take it first? Unfortunately, gentlemen, 
There's only enough antidote for one. Even if you're right, Hardiger, this is no way to do... This is my way. You're crazy, I tell you, crazy! Perhaps. Have you a son? Look! Uh, Kenshaw! Will it save me? Well, gentlemen, now you know. All right. All right, what do I care? I killed him. And I do it again. I hated him. Hated him. All my life. In school, in college, he never even knew that I existed. He was too good for someone like me. And he had everything. Money, everything. And he married the girl that I loved. She didn't know how I felt. I, I never told her. And then, and then, then she died. Pneumonia, they said. She wouldn't have died if she hadn't married him. So I killed him. I, I saw him get into the elevator. And then it fell. It fell. It was as though God had delivered it into my hand. It came to me there in the dark. I, I, I choked him. I choked him, and then, then he got out his gun, and I, I put my hand over his, and I turned it against him and fired. But I, I, I'm glad. I, I, I'm glad. Look, help him, somebody. Help him. Here, hold up his head. Here. Never mind. He's dead. It, it, it didn't work in time. You killed him, Hardiker. No, I didn't. I tell you, he's dead. Yes, I know. But what he drank was not the antidote. It was the poison. Poison? You see, I didn't exactly know which of you killed my son. I only knew that one of you must have. And so Robert Kenshaw convicted himself in front of all of you and was his own executioner. But then, he was never poisoned at all until... Until he drank the contents of that bowl. Gee. I shall divide the estate, gentlemen, as I promised. Meanwhile, you may call the police if you like. Let the law and divine providence decide whether this man died by my hand or by the guilt that lay upon his own soul. closes after-dinner story by Cornell Woolrich, starring Otto Kruger. Tonight's tale of Suspense. This is the man in black who conveys to you Columbia's invitation to spend this half hour in suspense with us again next week, same time, when our star will be Gene Lockhart in the suspense play called Statement of Employee Henry Wilson. Producer of Suspense is William Spear, who tonight also directed the broadcast, and who with Lud Gluskin and Lucian Marowick, conductor and composer, and Robert L. Richards, the radio author, collaborated on tonight's Suspense. Make a note on your calendar that beginning December 2nd, Suspense will come to you on Thursday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Wartime. 7 p.m. Central Wartime and 6 p.m. Mountain Wartime. Remember, suspense will be heard on Thursday nights beginning December 2nd. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Tonight, show him how much lovelier your hair can look after a Luster Cream shampoo. Only Luster Cream brings you K. Dumas' magic formula blend of secret ingredients plus gentle lanolin. Gives loveliness lather even in hardest water. Glamorizes your hair as you wash it. Luster Cream, not a soap, not a liquid, but a dainty cream shampoo. 
leaves hair fragrantly clean, free of loose dandruff, glistening with sheen, soft, manageable. Gives new beauty to all hairdos or permanents. Four-ounce jar, one dollar. Smaller sizes, either tubes or jars. Tonight, try Luster Cream Shampoo and be a dream girl, dream girl, beautiful Luster Cream girl. You owe your crowning glory to a Luster Cream Shampoo. kept you waiting. Yes, this is the crime club. I'm the librarian. The son is a witness. Yes, we have that crime club story for you. Come right over. succeed without murder. Let's look at it under the reading lamp. It was Tim Mulligan's job as an archaeologist to find out about dead civilizations. And he was finding out about the Anatsazi, the Indian cliff dwellers who inhabited the great canyon walls of the southwest many centuries ago. It was late morning, June 22nd, the second day of summer. And Tim Mulligan was digging carefully in one of the caves high above the canyon floor when George Dillon, the owner of the property and Tim's benefactor, climbed slowly up from the camp cave 30 feet below. He stopped to catch his breath. George! What are you doing up here? I, I wanted to see how you're getting along, Tim. You shouldn't have done it. You're hard. Where's Tony Blake? You're around somewhere. You're not going to snitch on me, are you, boy? Well, you're his responsibility, Pop. He's your doctor. Yes, but he didn't join the outfit so he can take care of me. What do you mean? He wants me to take care of him. Oh, that. Yeah. And maybe I will, after he and my niece Marion get married. But right now, it's Indian history that's got all my attention. Oh, yeah. Well, I uh, dug up a grave, George. And it's Ozzy? I think so. I haven't unwrapped the mummy yet. Good. We can do that together. Come on, let's go. Mm. What's that? The wind. No, Tim. No wind ever made a sound like that. Sounds human. It is human. And it's coming from... Yeah, George, George, take it easy. It's the cave. There's no one in there. In the open grave. The Anasazi mummy. got to be a trick. Damn. George. My heart. Where's the digitalis? In the... It's all right. I just lost my breath. Huh? I'll be all right. Are you sure? Yes. Help me down to the camp cave. You bet. You bet. Uh, let me call for Tony first. I feel a lot better with him around. Tony! out of range. Let's go. How is he, Tony? He, uh, he just fell asleep. Hmm? Uh, let's get away from this cave opening. I don't want him disturbed. Okay. Now, what about that ghost, Tim? Somebody's trying to kill your patient, Doctor. Hmm? Do you think he can be scared to death? Well, with his heart, anything can happen. That's what I mean. Where's Marion? Are you kidding? Not this trip. You, Marion, and I are the only ones here with George. The others... Well, that's where she went, to the others at the ranch house. When? This morning, while you were digging for your ghost. She was worried about her brother. Oh. 
Oh, of course, it's been four days since Fraser went back to the house with Matt Casey to get provisions. I didn't realize... Uh, now, look, Tim, I got to talk to you about something. Yeah? Give up this, pro- this crazy project. Give it up. It's not doing George any good. His heart can't take it. I'm not his doctor, Tony. And I am. So, what, he won't listen to me. As long as you're on the job, he wants to be with you. Don't you understand? Yes, I think I do. He has a fibrillator heart in a very bad shape, and the slightest stimulation... You're not worried about that, Tony, are you? What? You've got an axe of your own to grind, and it's beginning to look like a battle axe. Don't get dirty, Mulligan. I'll try not to. You can't cut me out, so you're trying to move me out. Anything to get George's mind off Indians and out of your sanitarium project. The darn sight more useful than digging for dried-up bones. That depends on how much of a scientist you are. I told you not to get dirty, Mulligan. Stop waving those fists. You'll have to hit yourself in the face. Tim! Tony! George! Come in here, both of you. Uh, I, I thought you were sleeping. I heard every word you two said out there. When do you think I'm going to die, Tony? If you continue to stay here, George... I'm going to stay here until Timothy finishes what he's doing. And there's no telling. There's nothing I can do about it. Are you quitting? No, I'll be around if you need me. You shouldn't have been so rough with him, Pop. Tim. You know what, George? Tim, do you really think somebody's trying to scare me to death? It's possible. Hmm. That fellow? I... I don't know. I'd rather not believe your own doctor's out to kill you. He's the only one here with us, Tim. And if that sound we heard was not a ghost... What's a Rattlesnake. Where? In here someplace. Now, stay where you are, George, and don't get excited. I'll, uh, I'll look for it. Wait! Try not to get excited, George, and don't get off that cot. You'll never find it, Tim. If it's in this cave, I will. It isn't. What? It's in this wall next to me. Solid rock. And we can hear the rattle. Oh, wait a minute, George. I don't want to believe in ghosts, but nobody can make that sound come out of solid rock. Oh, wait, wait. All right, Pop, it's gone. We can relax. <laughs> yeah, Tony's right. This is a bad place for you. I, I'm not afraid, Timothy. But I am. I'd uh, like to get you back to the ranch house where you might get an even break. I'm not running away. Good for you. I'm taking you away. Now, sit tight. I'll get Tony and we'll load the stuff into the car. Tim, does that mean you're... Giving up your work here? No, indeed, Pop. It means I'm going into another business. Ghost hunting. Well, George, as soon as we get to the ranch house, you start taking things easy. I'll do nothing of the kind, Tony. Say, Tim. Yeah? How soon do you expect to go back to the camp? Right after we get you, sir. Good. I'll get Matt Casey to go back with you. He knows every inch of that canyon. And if someone's out there playing ghost, or was... Don't be surprised if it was one of the Indians from the reservation. Is that your theory, Tony? Uh, They're very superstitious about their dead being dug up, Tim. Especially if they're going to be used as museum pieces. That's enough of that. Slow down. There's the ranch house. Oh, say, there's, uh, there's Fraser walking away from his car. Honk the horn, Tony. Ah, look who's here. You must have come out just behind me. Is the expedition over? Temporarily. Uh, give us a hand with the luggage, Fraser. For you, Uncle George, anything. Where's the rest of the party? Well, what do you mean? Matt Casey and Marion, of course. Are you trying to kid me? Well, aren't they here? No. <laughs> Some joke, huh? Fraser, Marion left this camp this morning. She was coming to see how you and Matt were getting along. Matt and I? But Matt went back to camp two days ago. He took a truckload of provisions. Are you sure? Now, look, Tim, I was here when he left. You smell as though you might be foggy about things. I've had a few drinks, but I know what I'm talking about. I pick up the stuff in town, and Matt took it from here. Why didn't you come back with him, Frazier? I took a liking to civilization, Uncle George. So after Matt bounced off, I bounced back to town where the civilization is beautiful and lively. I got back a few minutes ago. You were there for two whole days? I couldn't help it. The attraction was magnetic. Can it be proved, Frazier? Don't be a comedian, Tim. What's mine is mine. What about Marion? I don't know, Tony. Sis might have been here... Say, maybe she hit for town. For some lively civilization? What does that mean, Mulligan? Nothing personal, Dr. Blake. Why don't you take care of your patient while I go back to the camp to find out if the spirit is still functioning? Hello? Hello? Anybody here? Oh, Tim. Hello, Mary. 
Where is everybody? Why didn't you answer me? Now, one, one question at a time, please. I've been running around in circles all day. First the ranch house, nobody there. Then back to this. I, I'm a little winded. Just give me time. Where is everybody? Everybody but Matt Casey is at the ranch house. Why? They gave up the ghost. Huh? What are you doing up here on top of the canyon wall? Oh, this is going to be a national park someday. Uh-huh. Monument to Indian culture. Don't you feel proud of what Uncle George is going to do? I didn't see your car below, Marion. Always stick to the subject. You can't lose that way. My car isn't parked in the canyon. I came up the back way for a change. Mm-hmm. Bet you had a very good reason, too. Perfect. I got tired of the canyon road. Of course. Mad Casey must have had the same feeling about it. What? Well, look down there where my car is parked. His truck's there, too. So? Yes, and it's loaded to the hilt with provisions. I call that being very ruthless. Yes. All that good food left down there to spoil, and I'm starving. Well, at least you've got a doctor who can feed you vitamins. Funny man. Unless you're a ghost and you don't need vitamins. What does that mean? Haunt me and find out. Are you crazy? Try it. Say, a hi, a hi. Come on, come on, say it in a very deep voice. You are crazy. As deep as you can make it. A high, a high. I've always wondered about you archaeologists. Excuse me, I have a date with a mummy. Now, wait a minute. Now, listen, you... What? Lying under that rock. I don't... You must be seeing things. Yes, everything. And it's only the tail of a rattlesnake. Why, how wonderful. Another item for your collection? Would you mind if I picked it up? I wouldn't mind if you wore it on your nose. Thanks, I didn't know you cared. See? It still rattles. Yeah, I know something else that rattles. What? What was that? The ghost. I shook this rattle close to the rock and... Yes, all I've got to do is get this rock out of the way like this. Now... What's happening there? A perfect chimney right through the canyon wall. Would you like to make a voice test, Marion? Me? No, thank you. I don't like to hear myself talk. Not even in the interest of science? Goodbye, Tim. I'm going home. Wait, wait. I'm going with you. There's so much I'd like to tell your uncle about a hole in the ground. Uncle George, say, you had quite an experience up at the camp. Tony was just telling me about the ghost. Yes, and it's occurred to me with Matt Casey missing. Oh, he wouldn't try to kill me, Dr. Blake. I didn't say that he would, George. He's been working for me for 27 years. We're old friends. Frazier, I want you to organize a searching party for Matt. All right, but if you ask me, he's going on a bender. I don't think so. He's done it before. Why, there were times when he'd bust out for a whole week. He never did it when he had a special job to do. He knew we were waiting for those provisions at the camp. Yes, that's right, Fraser. Yes. He knew that I was waiting for something else that was much more important to me. Something else? Yes. Well, you might as well know about it now, Fraser. You too, Tony. I sent Matt Casey back here to type up a new will. Oh? Yep, I've decided to give all this property to the government for a national park. Well, that's nothing new, if that's all you've decided. That's all, Fraser. The rest of my property and all my cash go to you and Marion. Uncle George. Yeah? <sighs> Nothing. You're just a swell guy. I'd better go out and organize that searching party. Yeah. And is for you, Tony. No sanitarium, huh? Yeah, that's up to Marion. If she wants to set one up for you after I'm dead, she can do it. With my blessing. <laughs> still puzzles me. Oh, please, Tim. I'm tired of you being puzzled. Why did Matt Casey use this road instead of the canyon road? Why is an archaeologist? Would he have any reason for wanting to be heard but not seen? Oh, dear. Would you have any reason? Excuse me. The company I keep. (laughs) All right, Marion, you don't have to talk to me. I don't wear a badge. You don't know how pretty that makes you look. I think I do. By the way, why don't you and Tony get married? There's no hurry. He's broke, isn't he? And a big sanitarium with his name all over it could um, solve an ugly problem. Uncle George is Tony's patient. By design. What do you mean by that? You brought Tony out here. Well, suppose I did. That doesn't mean... 
Now, look here, Mr. Mulligan. I don't like your insinuations. So there's one thing about the great Southwest that always fascinates me. Don't change the subject. Buzzards. What? Over there on that pile of rocks. Well, you're not stopping, are you? Of course. Where there are buzzards, there's death. Where there's death, uh, I'm an archaeologist, remember? Oh, don't be ridiculous. I want to get back to the ranch house. You will. I'll just take the ignition key out to make sure you don't do it without me. Would you like to join this expedition? No. Oh, that's too bad. You don't know how cultural those things can... Marion. What is it, a pioneer? There's a body under those rocks. A human body. What? Timothy Mulligan, if you're kidding me... Just a hand showing. Part of an arm. Good heavens. Looks like a man's. He must have been caught in a rock fall... Well, let's dig him out. He might still be alive. No, no, not with rigor mortis, Marion. Oh. It's pretty obvious. His fingers. All right, Marion, we'd better start digging. It's going to take a little time. This one last rock. Now, come on, heave. Heave. Don't relax. Keep going. Come on. What? What was that? And we'll look later. Let's get this rock off first. Ooh, sit down, Tim. Yeah. Maybe you'd better go back to the car. What'd you pick up? This uh, this roll of film must have been spread out under part of that rock. Well, Maybe when the pile hit him, it bounced out of his pocket. Oh, you! And when we moved that rock, it. Snap back on the roll. You would think that important, wouldn't you? What's a dead body to you? I'm sorry, Marion, but there's nothing we can do for Matt Casey except turn him over, face up. Yeah. There are things I don't understand about this. Matt being here, and his truck two miles up the road, and an old hand like Matt being caught in a rock fall. What was he doing in this cave? Marion, Marion, don't don't look. Marion, for Pete's sake, get a grip on yourself. Here, let me take you back to the car. Lord, you leave me alone. Now, please, listen to me. I've known him practically all my life. He was my uncle's oldest friend. And listen to me in trying to understand what I'm saying. How are we going to tell Uncle George about this? Marion, Marion. It was no accident. Matt was not killed by a rockfall. What? What'd you say? He was murdered. Tim, I've had enough of you now and listen. Your... Matt was clubbed to death and brought here. I don't want to hear anymore. Then look. He was lying in the sand, face down. His face was covered with blood. <gasps> dried blood. But the sand is clean. Tim. You see what I mean? Please. Take me back to the ranch house. I'm afraid I'm going to be very sick. Is that you, Frazier? No, George. It's Marion and Tim. Marion. Marion, darling, where have you been? Not now, Tony. We've got to talk to Uncle George. Oh, what's the matter? I thought it might be Frazier. He went out to organize a searching party for Matt Casey. Oh... Well... What is it, Marion? Tim, maybe you better do the talking. I don't feel up to it. What's wrong? Where's Matt? I'll tell you, George, but I want you to sit down. Take it easy. I'll do nothing of the kind. Where's Matt? I say nothing until you sit down. He... He's dead, isn't he? Huh. Oh, my Lord. Matt. Tony, it's all right, Tim. I'll know what to do. Where'd you find him? Under a rock fall on the county road. Matt? Under a rock fall? Did you bring him back with you? No. We left him there. We'll have to notify the sheriff. Sheriff? He was murdered, Uncle George. All the evidence is there. We didn't want to disturb a thing. Murdered? Matt, murdered? Oh, Where is he? In a bottle in the dresser in George's room. Quick. Marion, get me a glass of water and a spoon. George. Ah, George, it's going to be all right. It'll be all right. Can you hear, George? Tim, Marion, here, Tony. Anything I can do? Yes, get Marion to hurt with that water. Marion! Yeah, the cupboard door was stuck. I couldn't get it. Here, him. give me that spoon. That's the worst attack I've ever seen have. Now, if I could get him to swallow this stuff. Oh, he's spitting it out. Oh, quick, you've got to get it down. Marion, hold his head back. No, I hold it back, I tell you. Now, Tim, I want you to force his jaws apart and keep his mouth open. I've got to get this stuff down. There's no time to lose. All right. 
That's done. Now, well, I'll make sure. Uh, the water will wash it, push it down. There. Uh, uh, now, let him relax. Here, Tim, take this bottle. Hmm. I'm going to check his pulse. What's wrong? But the disease you tell us isn't working. Never, Never acted like that after taking the medicine. George! Uncle George, please! It's all over, Marion. He's dead. I, I didn't think, Tony. I, I just spoke without thinking. Marion, there's no use blaming yourself anymore. It was bound to happen sooner or later. I didn't have to throw it at him. I, I didn't have to yell murder. Oh, here. Here you are. Take this pill. What is it? A sedative. No, ah, no, I... Come on, I'm... come on. Be good to yourself. You'll sleep for a few hours. I... Who's that? I don't know. Now, look, dear, you're as jumpy as a bee. Now, take this. Tony. Uh-oh. Oh. Oh, Frazier. Come outside for a few minutes. I want to talk to you. All right. Hey, what's the matter with you, Marianne? You've been crying. Uncle George is dead. What? He had a heart attack. And it was my fault. Oh, no. Dead. Tim and I found Matt Casey's body under a rock fall off the county road. It looked like murder, and I... Like Sad. a fool. Like a stupid, hysterical fool. Like I couldn't keep it to myself. I... I wasn't going to tell him. I was going to let you, Tony, break it to him. Easy. What do you mean? Well, we found Matt's body. It was wrapped up in a blanket. I guess Tim must have done that to keep the buzzards off. But did you tell the sheriff? No. A couple of the men took the body to the mortician in town. We thought... Tony, how quick did he go? Uncle George. Too quick, Frazier. Even the digitalis couldn't help him. It couldn't help Nothing him. Nothing could, Frazier, when it's not used. Oh, what do you mean, Tim? Here's the bottle with a digitalis label on it. I want you to taste its contents, Dr. Blake. What are you trying to say? I'm not trying. Go ahead, taste it. I put that label on there myself. I'm sure you did. And I'm sure you meant to do the right thing. Well, what's it taste like? Quinidine sulfate. Yes, that's what I thought. A powerful heart stimulant. When that gets into a fibrillator heart, it becomes a killer. Tim! I'm afraid so, Marion. No, Uncle George was not murdered. I'll never believe it. That bottle proves it, whether you believe it or not. How about it, Tony? Uh, I don't understand. Did you have quinidine sulfate in your collection of bottles? Yes, but that doesn't mean that I... Now, look here, Tim. I'm the only doctor for miles around. I keep a lot of medicines for emergency purposes. Of course, of course. Can't you two fight this out some other time and some other now, place? Now, wait a minute, Fraser. I don't want any more talk. Not right now, anyway. Okay. I'll say no more. Until the sheriff gets here. I'll send for him myself. Good, good. Later. I think Marion and I should have some time to ourselves, don't you? Before Uncle George becomes Exhibit A. Well, that's your privilege. Well, if anyone should want me, I'll be in my room wondering about things. Oh, hello, oh, Marion. You've been in here so long, I thought you'd died. Mm, no such luck. What are you doing? I'm uh, developing. What? Not my muscles, honey. Not your personality, either. Touche. Did uh, Fraser send for the sheriff? I don't know. He's been hibernating in the study all afternoon. Now, look, Tim. Mm-hmm. I'm ready to believe a lot of things you've said about murder. That's so kind of you. But is it going to do anybody any good to make a fuss about it? Won't do the killer any good? Be reasonable. Fraser and I are very rich now. And, and I'm very much in love with Tony. <laughs> I'm a stubborn cuss, Marion, when I'm right. And you haven't got enough money to make me think wrong. How much do you want? Nothing. Excuse me, Marion. I want to switch on the lights. Suppose I were to kill you. Huh? Oh, in that case, I'd be dead. No one would ever know. Frazier and Tony wouldn't tell. Think about it, Tim. Mm -hmm. This is the stuff. Come here, Mary. You'll disappear. It can be done, Timothy. There's a lot of open land out here. Places people don't go to. Think of the place you'd go to, Marion. Mayor, Mayor, I want to show you something. Tim! Now listen, Marion. I've got a lot of friends in New York, and they know where I am. And if they don't hear from me, they're going to wonder and ask a lot of questions. So put down that gun and come over here. I'm not interested in a strip of film. But you should be. This is the film we uh, found next to Matt's body. And it tells an amazing story. 
What? Yeah. Uh, do you see those four dark streaks on the negative? Well, what about them? Now, they all start at one point and then spread like a fan. The first one is short, second one's a little longer, the third one is the longest, and the fourth one is shorter. So, what does it prove? It proves, Marion, that the sun is a witness. And right here on this negative, it's pointing four fingers at a murderer. What? Now, stop that gun. Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) A twist of the wrist, and we're equals again. Shall we go now? I'd like to see the other members of your family, present and future. You'll never convince me, Mulligan, that four streaks on a negative mean murder. How about letting me try, Tony? You also said, Tim, that you know who killed Matt Casey. Oh, I did say that, didn't I, Fraser? Yes. I'll go a step further. The person who killed Matt also killed George. I've had enough of this. I want you to get out of here, Tim. In time. But whether you listen to me or not doesn't matter. I know you'll listen to the sheriff. All right, Tim. Prove your sunstreak theory. Thank you, Doctor. Well, Marion and I found this film next to Matt's body. He was lying at the entrance to a cave, and the rocks were piled high. So? No sun or light flooded that cave. The film wasn't ruined, but somehow one ray of sun got through between the rocks and left these marks on the film. But where's the murderer, Tim? In this room, Fraser. Today is the 22nd of June. Yesterday was the first day of summer, the longest day of the year. Do you see now what these streaks mean? That's still a lot of nonsense The day before yesterday was shorter. And the day before that, still shorter. The position of the sun changes every day. As the days get longer, the sun rises higher. Anybody want to question that fact? I see what you mean, Tim. According to that evidence, Matt was killed four days ago. Yes, Tony. He didn't return to camp two days ago, as Fraser told us. (laughs) Fraser! What's the use? It was going to be found out sooner or later. Nobody believed Tony would deliberately give Uncle George the wrong medicine. Fraser! I didn't plan it that way when I started. I I, I was going to frighten him to death, but it didn't work, so I came back here and switched labels on the bottles. The the medicines looked alike, the same color. I would have done anything then to get Uncle George out of the way. Why, Fraser? Well, well, up at the camp, I I overheard him talking to Matt Casey about a new will. Yes? I I didn't know what was going into it, but I I was sure he was going to cut me out. He didn't like some of the people I'd been fooling around with in town. So you killed Matt Casey to keep him from bringing back the new will? Yes. But but if I'd only read the thing before I burned it, Uncle George would be alive now. I'd have known. <laughs> Lord, help me. I'd have known. <laughs> That's right, Tim. George told us. This whole estate goes to Marion and Fraser except this property. Yes, the National Park. Fraser, why didn't you fix those bottles after you switched them? I'd have known. He told me and I'd forgotten what I'd done. I was too happy. (laughs) Too happy. (laughs) And so closes tonight's Crime Club book, The Sun is a Witness, based on a story by Aaron Mark Stein. Stedman Coles did the radio adaptation... Roger Bauer, produced and directed. Raymond Edward Johnson played Tim Mulligan. And Sidney Smith was Tony Blake. Oh, I beg your pardon. Hello. I hope I haven't kept you waiting. Yes, this is the crime club. I'm the librarian. Yes, come over a week from tonight. Good. We have a very exciting story of a boat ride that was planned by death. It's called The Grey Mist Murders by Constance and Gwynth Little. In the meantime... Well, in the meantime, there is a new crime club book available at bookstores everywhere. Yes, it's available now. Fine. And we'll look for you next week. This program came from New York. 
This is the world's largest network, the Mutual Broadcasting System.